This is the Nottinghamshire LMC podcast, here to educate, inform and support general practice staff in Nottinghamshire. Get to know about those who represent you, as well as all the latest information from Notts LMC at your leisure. Tune in and subscribe to our podcast today, hosted by me, Denida Morrison, at podbean.com. Joining me today is Dr. Carter Singh, a GP partner at Willowbrook Medical Practice in Nottingham, who wears many hats. He is a National Council member of the Royal College of General Practitioners, Director for CIMA Care, a mental health service in Sutton and Ashfield, and a title he assumed more recently as Chair of the Nottinghamshire Local Medical Committee. Thanks for joining us today, Dr. Singh. Thanks, Anita. I'm going to refer to you the way I usually do, as Carter, if that's okay. <laughs> but before, before we deep dive into things, you have an extensive CV, I guess, to say the very least. And in that introduction, I only touched on a little of what you have accomplished throughout your career. But this is an opportunity, really, for us to find out more about what your plans are in your new role as the Notts LMC Chair, but also to get a sense of the man behind the profession and the accomplishments. So before we go into things, I want to ask you a couple of questions. Um, and I guess you could say this is a part of my human verification process. Are you human? Are you a robot? Okay, we'll, we'll see <laughs> based on these questions. Um, so really simple questions. The first one, what is your favorite color and why? Orange, because it signifies warmth, I'd say. Oh, so do you like to wear orange or it's just, you just like the colour? <laughs> both, both. Um, yeah, I think, and I love the fruit orange as well. So it's okay. just, yeah, orange all around for me. Yes, vitamin C is the best. <laughs> okay, so do you like your eggs hard-boiled or runny in the middle? Runny in the middle, as long as it's with soldiers. Oh, the egg, as long as I've got something to dip into it. Right. Okay. Otherwise, you like it hard boiled. Yeah. Oh, that's yeah. fair enough. That's fair enough. I, I like it. I like my eggs runny when I'm having it with avocado and sourdough bread or something like that. So that's yeah, really good. Cool. Yeah. Okay. So um, we'll get into things in, in terms of your new role and, and how that fits into the wider healthcare landscape. But first, can we start off by just just acknowledging the huge honour that was bestowed on you last October when you received an email that you had been awarded an MBE. Um, and just to, just to give some context, so for those of you who aren't aware, an MBE, member of the British Empire, big deal, one of the highest honours of the British Empire, which is given to people as recognition for the positive impact of their work in society. So, so Carter, talk us through that moment where were you and what was your reaction when you first heard you were on the Queen's Honours list? So I was at home um, checking through my emails, looking through my inbox, scrolling through as you do in an evening and I received an email from the Cabinet Office and at first sight I thought no this is probably just some spam or it's phishing or it's, mm -hmm. it's something which is bogus and uh, I opened it up, which I don't think you're supposed to do if, it's, if you suspect a spam email, <laughs> but I, I opened it up and read through it. And the more I read it, 
I began to, to realize that it was actually quite credible and the, the information contained in it was, was, was quite factual and it seemed, it seemed legit, it seemed quite real. And um, it was saying that uh, I was in the process of being considered for an MBE, would I be um, of, the, of the mind to accept it? Wow. And they had a, an attached document, so I opened it all up and I read through it and, and I read it. And the day after I phoned up the cabinet office and uh, verified that it was actually real. And that's when the enormity of this right. email really sank in. And it was just such a, a true honour. Um, I can't explain to you that proud I felt of, of this recognition that had been bestowed on me. I mean, yeah, everyday person doesn't get... <laughs> emails from the cabinet office so that's that's truly amazing and and talk to us a little bit about what what the award was for i think it's important that people know uh, some of the work that you have been doing you know throughout the covid pandemic and also the the vaccination program as well what was the award for so it was services in in uh, nottinghamshire so services to healthcare in nottinghamshire mm-hmm. and it was revolving mainly around the work i've been doing especially during the pandemic so yeah. the the pandemic shone a, a very stark spotlight on the inequalities that exist in our communities our societies and especially the health service at the beginning of the pandemic i started to notice that the death rates and the morbidity and the mortality associated with covid mm. was especially higher in vulnerable groups and the two main groups that i've got a special interest in is people with learning disabilities and the other group is ethnic minority individuals living in our society in the uk so i started to really work with these two groups of people to try and minimize the health inequalities and the social inequalities and Mm. try to reduce the impact of the pandemic that the covid was having on the lives of people with learning disabilities and those with uh, those belonging to ethnic minority groups as well yeah and and that's interesting because i guess a lot of people aren't aware of um kind of you know when it comes to general practice depending on where you know your practice is located you know there are specific health inequalities within that area and which means that they're not having access to the resources the messaging the communications that you know ordinarily practices in high income areas would would receive so okay that that really is a, a perfect segue for me for my next question uh, which is about going back um let's go back to the beginning Tell us a little bit more about growing up as a young boy, teenager. Um, inevitably, your choice of profession and you know some of the causes that you're so passionate about and that you advocate for must link back to your youth. So who was Carter growing up? Yeah, I think it's really important to try to link the kind of roots and the fruits to the causes to the outcomes. And you're right, I think what happens to children as they're growing up can in many ways shape their future and I'm no different in that so my story starts with a 17 year old immigrant girl in the mid 1970s and that girl had learning disabilities and she was entered into an arranged marriage by her parents and unfortunately that arranged marriage was quite an abusive one and uh, as a result of several years worth of abuse, a product of that 
relationship or marriage, short-lived marriage, was me. I was a child growing up in a single parent family and that single parent learning disabilities. Luckily, my maternal grandparents, so the parents of my mother, took us both in and um, they tried their best uh, to try and give us the love and affection and attention that we required. But despite their best efforts, for the first 12 to 13 years of my life, unfortunately, I was subjected to all manner of abuse and neglect um, at the hands of various parties. Right. And um, fortunately for me, when I was at my lowest ebb and when I was at rock bottom and my back was against a corner, I was able to confront my abusers. And as a result, as with all cowards and abusers, they backed off and almost overnight, as if a, a switch had been flicked uh, subconsciously in my mind and, and heart, I went from being a very rebellious, very misbehaved, disturbed child from that almost overnight to kind of a very uh, attentive and high achieving student at secondary school who then, you know, went on to um, go to university, go to medical school and progress on to the career that many of you are aware of to this date. You see, that, that is very fascinating and something that, you know, I, you know, I mentioned I wasn't, I wasn't even aware of, but I guess it's kind of like the psychology of it. How did you manage to make that transition into being a high achiever? Uh, somewhat your misfortunes had an effect on you, but it was a positive effect. It was a positive outlook on life. Um, kind of what, and that has contributed to your future choices, but what, what, what really pushed you? Are things in life which you have control over uh, and you can directly influence so your internal locus of control and then you have things out there which happen to you or happen around you your external focus of control which you have no control over and I think that if there were a thousand of me I reckon 999 of those would have ended up either in prison or dead and that was the kind of bleak outlook that I was given by people in my community, some of my own family, and certainly my teachers growing up. So yeah. for me, there was that mammoth task of turning negatives into positives and really not letting your past negative experiences shackle your opportunities moving forwards into the future. So for me, a lot of it was having a very clear focus having very positive role models in my life, my maternal grandfather, and also having that vision in mm. wanting to do better and to um, positively influence those around you and to be that rock for other people. Because obviously, as I mentioned before, I have my mother who's got learning disabilities. Yeah. And I always knew that ultimately, for me, that would be my responsibility moving forward to look after her and care for her. So I needed to be in a position where I was able to not only provide for myself, my hopefully ch children and wife in the future, but also, you know, my mother as well. So there was no failing for me there was okay. failure was not an option it mm. for me it was you know the kind of old adage of do or die and it was always having that kind of um notion of having to 
aim high and really achieve yeah. high in order to be able to just make the bar. Yeah. Because I think, look, if you, if you focus to the moon and focus to the stars, that even if you don't get there, at least you've got high enough to get <laughs> through. So that's always been my kind of mantra, which Absolutely. I try to Well, I've had so much help from, you know, my, my, my grandparents, from those around me, my wife, my family, my children, and also, yeah. you know, the mentors and educators uh, and clinical supervisors in my life who have really helped me and put yes. me in the right direction to be able to get me to where I am today. I'm truly grateful. So it takes a community. <laughs> so as I mentioned at the beginning, you, you wear many hats. Apart from being a, a, a GP, a, a practitioner for Willowbrook, you also are a national council member for the, the Royal College of General Practitioners. Um, talk to us a bit about that. How did you get into that? So I've always held the Royal College in high regard, and it's always been an institution which is very heavily involved in the education and training of GPs. And through my training, um, we, we, we've from the RCGP curriculum, and I joined the Vale of Trent faculty in Nottinghamshire um, about seven or eight years ago. And it was through that which I developed an interest in the pastoral side of the RCGP. Mm -hmm. And in um, 2019, I was nominated by the Vale of Trent to be the uh, faculty rep on council, so a national council member. And it was through that that I developed my interest and represent the views and opinions and the perspective of grassroots GPs from my local area, from mm -hmm. Derbyshire and Nottinghamshire, or at council, at national council in London or remotely as it's been on Zoom through the pandemic. Yeah. And I'm able to be in a position where I can shape um, the direction of education and training for general practice uh, moving forwards, but always linking that back to coal-based GPs. Yeah. No, that's excellent. Now, I, I know that, that there's so much going on within general practice at the moment. Um, and, and one of the major things is the well-being of GPs, of uh, general practice staff um, as a whole, which seems to be going amiss there's been a lot of uh, abuse um, that practice staff have had to face, especially throughout the pandemic. And you're director for the CIMA Care, which is a kind of mental health service. I just, I just wanted to talk a little bit about that in, in terms of prioritizing well-being, you know, within, within primary care and, and just getting your thoughts on that. Um, and a little bit about that role. Yeah, so CIMA Care, CIMA, CIMA Care, I'm one of the directors, there's three others, so there's four directors, and we got into this care sector about five or six years ago now, and it was because every single director has a member of their close family who has learning disabilities, and in my case, it's my mother, um, and we decided to go into the sector of social care and open a residential home for people with learning disabilities. Okay. And to create a, a, a space for those individuals to really provide them with the opportunities to have a fruitful and fulfilled life 
and really be able to provide the highest standards of care for them. And yeah. that's you know, such a big part of my life. And we really see it as giving something back to the community. So it's a, it's a, it's a major part of my life and it, it, it influences everything that I do. And I think you mentioned earlier on that general practice is going through a very difficult time and you're right and the amount of abuse and aggression that our general practice staff and some GPs are facing you might have heard of the horrific attack um, up north um, in recent in recent months um, where one of the GPs was attacked and sustained severe yeah. injuries it was just so saddened I was just so saddened to hear about it it was, it was Absolutely. Very, very sad. During the pandemic, I have seen the best and the worst of human nature. I have seen communities coming together, really helping one another and really looking out for their neighbours where they may not have done before and really trying to go that extra mile in trying to help those who are self-isolating or feeling isolated or lonely and are having to deal with the bereavements and loss of family members. But then I have seen the worst side of human nature. I have seen people fist fighting in the supermarket over toilet roll and pasta. Wow. I have seen people being racially abused in the street. I have seen people from Indian origin and Chinese origin being called dirty and being told to go back to their own countries and take their virus back with them. Oh gosh. You know, I have seen that. And as a result, I have also seen frustration and anger in the consultation room. And I can totally understand where patients are coming from from when they can't get through to their GP on the phone perhaps where they are having to deal with changes in the way that they access general practice which is different to how they've been used to through their whole life yeah. changes general practice has had to make to try and safeguard doctors and practice staff and above all patients during the pandemic to try and keep everyone safe and well yeah. but changes which were actually on the cards many years before the pandemic, which actually are helping to improve efficiency and safety in general practice. But the pandemic helped us to be able to put those changes in place at pace um, through necessity and through need rather than want and really overcome that inertia. So th there have been positives which have arisen yeah. from the pandemic in terms of process in general practice. Am I saying that um, remote care is the panacea of course I'm not I'm saying remote care de definitely has a place and a purpose in general practice but it's not there to replace the traditional face-to-face -face method of consulting I don't think they have to be mutually exclusive mm -hmm. I think there is um, a, a place for both of those as long as the clinician or the triager decides upon what is right for that patient yeah uh, that I'm presenting with that set of problems. Yeah, we, we as an LMC have actually been, you know, it's funny you touch on that, have been working to support practices, as you already know, in any which way possible, just through the communications. Because at the end of the day, it, like you said, it's not a case of them being wrong about not being able to get through to general practice, you know, on the phone lines and stuff like that. But it's also that portrayal of general practice not being opened, uh, kind of closing their doors, turning their backs, which is 
it couldn't be further from the truth. So I think it's important to to kind of highlight that and make that clear. And we've been doing so through through the comms that we're putting out and 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 stuff like that. So just to just to let practices know that there are resources um, that are up on the Nocta LMC website that you can access to support. Uh, you know, handling and dealing with patient abuse that you might be receiving in practice. So you, you mentioned something, Carter, at our last annual conference, uh, and it was very insightful, and it was to do with your experience of racism. Um, and as, as LMC chair now, you lead our Quality, Diversity and Inclusion Forum, and it's evident, it's very clear that some of your, your childhood experiences have influenced what you are passionate about today. Tell us a bit about the forum and the changes that you hope to realise in your current capacity. Yeah, so I, I led the um, Equality and Diversity session at our Nottinghamshire annual conference last year. Unfortunately, it was remote, so a lot of the face-to-face and the benefits of having it in person were lost but hopefully people enjoyed the session and learned a lot from it yeah growing up in the 80s and the 90s in the midlands was quite tough i was subject to a considerable amount of physical and verbal racism growing up but also some of the racism can be very implicit rather than explicit and the injustices and the lack of opportunity and the discrimination at organizational and institutional level also can have some of the biggest impacts and negative effects on people's lives and the pandemic again has amplified and worsened some of the pre-existing inequalities that existed pre-pandemic and a lot of that came to the fore with the tragic death of George Floyd in America yeah. and, and with the, the movement of Black Lives Matter brought a lot of issues to do with racism and discrimination into the public eye mm-hmm. and it became uh, a talked about subject which often was more taboo and brushed under the carpet and a lot of times it was ignored because it's a very difficult subject to actually tackle and right. to, to, to actually um, trigger positive change about and so this actually brought it to the fore and brought it into the public domain so I thought it was a great opportunity for us as an LMC at Nottinghamshire to uh, initiate the Equality, Diversity and Inclusion Forum to try to help readdress the balance in many ways and to tackle these very difficult issues which face many people working in the NHS, in general practice and our society at large and to be able to um, positively influence and have a positive effect um, on what we're doing not only locally but regionally. Um, I think for an organisation such as an LMC, we have to have a level of organisational maturity and intelligence and uh, our members have to have a high degree of confidence in our compass rather than the map. So in other words, our culture versus the strategy. A lot of the times, a lot of LMCs and organisations and trusts, acute trusts, hospitals, put a lot of emphasis on the policies, the protocols, the strategies, but usually um, the culture and the uh, the 
issues to do with equality and diversity get left by the wayside and are a bolt-on and an optional extra and i thought it would be really useful to have them um, as part of the mainstay of our organization but also to embed equality diversity and inclusion and ingrain it through our organization absolutely um so i mean tell us a little bit about some of the current works that are being done if, if you can share and how members can engage and, and make sure that they're getting involved so we have set up a meeting every two months alongside our LMC board meeting where we discuss a rolling agenda to do with protected characteristics such as ethnicity, race, disability, gender inequality and LGBTQ plus issues which are topical and sometimes even controversial in the national media or in the medical arena and we discuss it and apply it in a way which is locally relevant to, to try and inspire genuine positive change for our member practices and our patients. We put our comms out via the LMC weekly bulletin so that our member practices and GPs and staff are aware of any changes or any of the positive things that we're doing locally to make sure that they are fully abreast of how we are improving equality, diversity and inclusion in our local patch. That, that's great and it's, it's very proactive. It's uh, also something that probably wasn't there. So people, practitioners dealing or having to deal with, you know, issues of racism or and things like that probably wouldn't have known where to go. So it's a wonderful thing that this is up and running and available to our practice members. And do you know what, Zaneda? One thing I must say about the EDI forum and anything to do with EDI is that it, institutions should never take EDI as a tick box exercise. It should never be about virtue signaling no. or something that must be done because it's the politically correct thing to do genuine equality, diversity and inclusion should be about wanting to make sure that people are treated fairly, people are given the right opportunities, people are, uh, are given a level playing field in which they feel that their true knowledge, experience, skills are being respected and it's a, a meritocracy. So their mm -hmm. skills and their experiences are what determine whether they get a job or a certain position or a certain rating in an inspection rather yeah. than what color of skin they have what culture they belong to what religion they are and that's what should be truly the foundational principles of any organization who wish to be fair open and honest with Absolutely. their membership or organization and that's 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 what we're trying to do at the lmc yeah. with the i forum yeah this kind of ties into you know, what you do with the LMC, but you have been a part of the LMC for some time now. You were an LMC vice chair, <laughs> and now you have assumed your new role as the chair of the Nottinghamshire LMC, taking over from your predecessor, Dr. Greg Place. What is it like uh, stepping into the shoes of the outgoing chair uh, to kind of assume this role as your own? And what are your intentions for the next three years? 
So for me, it was a great honour and privilege to be elected as chair of the LMC. And I had uh, a not a big pair of shoes, but definitely a big pair of shorts to fill. If anyone knows Greg, <laughs> he wears shorts like uh, 11 months of the year. And um, chair of the LMC for uh, God knows how how many years a lot of years and so you know I want to thank him and it's a great privilege learning from him as the vice chair and also when I was on the committee since about 2014-15 time so he's done great work and I hope to be able to take on the mantle from Greg moving forwards and put my own spin on things uh, things are very different to what they've been um, over the last decade or two in general practice we've never had a pandemic and things are really, really tough in general practice at the moment. Yeah. I won't sugarcoat it. Things are more difficult than they've ever been in general practice before. And I think the strain and the pressures and the challenges that our frontline GPs are facing are unprecedented. And I think that it's almost um, a blessing and a curse in many ways to be chair at this stage. I think it's a true honour and I take it as a blessing. But I think it's definitely something which for us as an LMC is uh, an issue where we have to be very supportive of our local GPs and really not only support the profession, but also be a crutch to those GPs who are facing very real challenges on yeah. the shop floor. And I think moving forward, um, I believe in being the kind of leader and chair of an organisation who really does lead from the front and not from the back. I'm a full-time GP at the coalface in a very deprived area and I hope people really can relate to that in Nottinghamshire who I represent and um, hopefully they can relate to me uh, from that point of view because I'm not sat in my ivory tower. Uh, I'm certainly not a GP who doesn't have his finger on the pulse of contemporary issues. I'm living it, breathing yeah. it, sleeping it, eating it, drinking it every day, all day. And I'm definitely there at the coalface with my colleagues. So moving forwards, I really want to make sure that people understand that it's a responsibility that I'm definitely not taking lightly. And I'm hoping to rise to the challenge of being a very responsive chair and leading mm -hmm. from the front and to reshift the focus and try and make it not about the chair per se or the LMC per se, but to make it about the GPs, make it about general practice and make it about the real issues which are really fettering and curtailing general practice and trying to feed into the national debate through the GPC, through the BMA, to try and make our voices and opinions heard so that we can really influence national policy and strategy. and. To, not about taking charge per se of the LMC, but taking care of yeah. our LMC that's, so we can take care of our member practices and really support them during these most unprecedented and difficult times, not only during the pandemic, but moving forwards into <laughs> a new different and trying to shape that new different um, yeah. by taking on board what our members are telling us. No, ab absolutely. And I think... It, it's, it's at least very clear to me, Carter, that you are um, you are a leader, but not just a, a leader, but a leader that cares for those in his care. 
So um, I, I think that's very important and a very good message uh, that our constituent practices really need to hear because it, it is a difficult time for them and they need to, to feel that the strength and the backing of the LMC in, in full force. So that's great. Um, I guess this kind of brings us uh, to the end. Thank you. Your story has been extremely compelling and just to see how you forge forward and that kind of can-do positive attitude that seems to kind of permeate throughout your entire life and really has brought you to where you are today. Um, so just thank for joining us, Carter. And, and before, before we do leave, how can members reach you? So thanks, Tata, for that. Those very kind words and that's really warmed my heart to hear that. And, and I, I hope that my you know my journey my lived experiences do resonate with other gps and other professionals in our sector um i'm always contactable through the lmc offices my contact details are on the website and also i'm contactable via my email which is carter.sing1 at nhs.net so that's my email address yeah. and um, I'm always ready and waiting to hear from the GPs that we serve yeah absolutely and you're 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 very active on social media as well so you can get him at dr carter sing on twitter um lastly uh, and I probably should have asked you this before but um never too late who has been your greatest inspiration? So it can be one person or it can be a group of people. It can be a family member, a celebrity, a public figure. Who has been your greatest inspiration? So for me, um, in terms of people, there's two people who have been the biggest uh, influences in my life and my, my rocks. And one is my... Uh, grandfather um, who took me in when no one else cared mm -hmm. and the other one is my mother who's been the light of my life but almost like uh, my guardian angel through my life um, so both of those in combination have really shaped my personality my path in life for me is you know my kind of worldly figures who I look up to give me that kind of direction and strength in my everyday life wow that's that's truly amazing and what is there anything that you want to say you know to particularly practitioners supporting the the pandemic through all the amazing work that they're doing um you know with the vaccinations uh, but maybe under a lot of stress um, yeah. who equally are human, they have families. Is there any kind of advice you can yeah. give them? GPs are going through so much stress at the moment and also a lot of negative media and political narratives and rhetoric is hampering their everyday lives and mental health. And a lot of GPs have been telling me that they've never worked so hard and gone above and beyond the call of duty, but felt so persecuted and denigrated for their efforts. And I think it's a really sorry and sad situation at the moment for general practice. However, we are resilient and we are innovative and we always find a way as GPs. And we're never tested in life when we're at our best and 
when it's calm waters. We're always tested when we are at our lowest ebb, on our backs, on the floor, or against the ropes. And the pandemic has definitely created that scenario and that situation for us as general practitioners, where we are really at rock bottom. And when we are really working all the hours that God sends to try and honor our core contractual obligations, but at the same time, as rolling out the biggest vaccination program in history and not feeling very appreciated yeah. for all of our And, you know, we are tested when the waters are rough and when the waters are choppy. And we are certainly going through those kind of trials and tribulations at the moment. And as a GP, who's also at the cold base and a full-time GP working in a deprived area, I am there for you if you ever need support or someone to to reach out to we are there for you as an lmc to provide you with organizational support and guidance and advice and also the mental health side of things is so important having that work-life balance and really looking after your mental health and there are organizations out there and charities out there and doctor well-being services both locally regionally and nationally which we as an lmc can signpost you to as well Thank you so much, Carter. As they say, it's a bit of a cliche saying, but the gold is is made shiny and is at its best when when through going through the furnace and through the fire. Um, so that that's pretty much what our, our practitioners are doing, and they're doing a wonderful job. And I know that they're going to come through it. So thank you once again. If you want to reach Carter, he has given you all the details. Like he said, our website www.nottinghamshirelmc.co.uk. Um, and as usual, you can reach us on our social handles at NottsLMC on Twitter or at Nottinghamshire Local Medical Committee on Facebook and LinkedIn. I'll be releasing episodes of our podcast each month and you can subscribe by visiting www.podbean.com online or through the mobile app in your Apple or Play Store. It's been a pleasure and thank you for joining me today. I'm your host, Zanaida Morrison. Bye for now. Thanks for listening. Be sure to subscribe to the Nottinghamshire LMC podcast for subsequent episodes with me, Zenaida Morrison, at podbean.com. Bye for now.